thinking about this, I and mean, we we do have we do have a very sentimental and romantic view of children and child. I'm going to be very careful here because I could offend loads of people here. Mm. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. like kids, um, but um, we do have that. Uh, that, and, and you know, to such as, and you, you know, you see this, and I have seen this over the years. You know, people sort of saying, "Oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to have a baby. It's going to be really cool. It's going to be really cute." And then, really, kind of, fi- you know, then you could, then you kind of experience yeah. the kind of the horror. The three o'clock in the morning, <laughs> yeah, and they're screaming, and they won't yeah. stop. And it's got you just got this screaming yeah. red face yeah. of like a demon. Yeah, you know, and people. Yeah, that's yeah. you, right? And people, you know, I've said this before. After uh, you know, quite early on, having children, and people looked at me as though I was some crazed loon, you know, are saying that mm. you will want to kill yeah. them. <laughs> You'd want to kill them. Yeah, you will. Yeah. I mean, it's a yeah. tough gig. Oh, well, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't, I, I've often said this, you know, I obviously don't condone this, but I entirely understand um, the, 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 you know, people who end up, you know, beating up their kid, mm. beating their kids, particularly if you're in a situation, particularly if you're in a situation where you have minimal support from the rest of the family or whatever, and you're there it's at the three o'clock in the morning, you're at your wits end, you have no energy, no resources left, and this thing is still crying at you, and all you want to do is just make it stop. Um, not condoning mm. it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a bad thing, but I understand um, when somebody could just say, oh, just, just shut up, you know, um, because we've all kind of been there. Well, and, I always thought, you know, it's, it's, how it's, did we it's, survive, you know, how did we f- survive the Stone Age? You know, because your average, well, you know, mm. we we must we must have been much yeah you know, much cleverer than we than we thought. You know, um, imagine the Neanderthal man. Yeah, you know, he has, uh, mm. you know, grabs his first uh, lady, or the lady grabs him. Who knows, right? Mm. And then uh, this mm-hmm. baby appears. Oh, it's it's cute, isn't it? What, what what why is it making that noise? Make it stop. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, how yeah. You know, I, I'm amazed that we, we we went past that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe maybe there were a lot of kids that were exposed or kind of you know thrown to the uh, you know thrown to the wolves or whatever. No, I don't like uh, this. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah. No, we don't want that. Yeah, um, and we do. I mean, there is there is a biological imperative of, and again, I'm I'm not a biologist, but there is a biological imperative, um, which which encourages us um, yeah, at a kind of a hard wide <laughs> level. To protect, yeah. to protect the species, um, uh, and you know, even when they are kind of you know, screaming and unpleasant, and we mm. do like the little and the cute. I mean, there's something about us that kind of wants to, to, to help and support uh, the, the helpers. But then when they get to that point where they're no longer, you know, the surly teenager is no longer as cute, uh, <laughs> no longer as appealing <laughs> as the kind of cooing child. Um, uh, and that's we you know that, then that's that's that, you know that's when Kant's sort of imperative. You know, you're still responsible, man. You, you know, you brought this into yeah. the world. Didn't ask to be born. I mean, Hegel's interesting. I mean, Hegel has a similar kind of view because he, as as to some extent, as 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 Aristotle in a way, because he sees you know, the family as a kind of um, he sees that the, the family as a kind of part way along that kind of dialectical process towards um, towards the kind of you know some kind of utopia um so again you know you've got the individual then you've got the family then you've got that kind of city so as far you've got the city you've got the state and you know and and Kant was very keen on the idea of the state as a manifestation of the spirit um uh and as far as you know and hegel has that obviously has that kind of metaphysical 
dialectical view that it's something to do with the way the universe is coming to an awareness of itself that one thing encounters another and it could be in this case a man you know the the, the, you know the man encounters uh the male encounters the female um and then they you know then they kind of you know come together in a kind of squishy sort of way and then they produce a kind of a third something which is a synthesis of of that um but not only that you've then segued you've moved into um uh, another moment from the individual disassociated kind of particular if you like just you on your own you've now moved into that kind of situation where you are now mm. a kind of a corporate identity um you're the family <clears throat> and that isn't a diminishment of who you are being part of that family as, as far as Hegel's concerned is a way of you exploring who you are um because you're seeing yourself as others see you're seeing yourself through different eyes and all that kind of stuff goes on so it's an enhancement. This is how the universe comes to an awareness. The universal spirit comes to awareness of itself. So the family is a, is a physical manifestation, just a small manifestation of the universal spirit becoming more and more aware. And then that small thing encounters others, other kind of you know families, which may well be different from them in different ways. They come together to eventually form the state. Which is which is the kind of the, the litmus mm. kind of test. It's kind of the guide, the, the gauge of how the universal spirit is de- is is growing and developing. Um, so this is actually not just something we do because we're biologically geared towards doing, or because we have to have some kind of mm. strange emotional desire mm. to do it. This is the universe doing this. This is the universe growing up, and, mm. it, and the way it grows up, all its growing pains are manifested like in the it. way um, we when you, um, exist. When you uh, um, visit um, yeah, your, your friend's house, yeah, when you were when you, when you, uh, a child, a friend's house or a girlfriend's house, and then you enter into this other, you know, I love that, and that's, you know, yeah. obviously that's a kind of a Hegelian yeah. thing, isn't it? It's like, yeah. Absolutely, and they, don't, and they don't let you sit down, or they don't let you come into yeah, the Or don't the let you room. open present, presents till midday. Or was that <laughs> oh man, don't even get me started on that one. Yeah, yeah absolutely. No, it's it, 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 it's interesting, and you, you, what you, I mean, it's it is fascinating, isn't it, when you look at um, the various kind of philosophical perspectives on these things. And I said I haven't made a, a massive study of philosophers and their understandings of mm. of family. It's just as it's cropped up in in mm. other investigations. But um, the family is is it seems to be very important to a lot of philosophers but it is very much it, it is still very much a secondary issue it's still very much dependent for a lot of these philosophers on on previous concerns so the nature of the family or the importance of the family um, is often dependent on a previous philosophical mm-hmm. commitment um, so if you're already committed to the categorical imperative the idea that you know Treat others as you'll be treated. Human beings are free. They they are means. They are ends mm. and not means. If you're committed to all of that, then the family takes on a particular a particular mm. kind of complexion. If you're understanding that human beings are um, um, disembodied or you know reincarnate spirits that have had a pre-existence and they are moving towards creating mm. a utopia. Um, then you backtrack and you say, okay, well, how does how does the the nuclear family fit into that? Well, maybe we need yeah. to dispose of it. Maybe the the family doesn't actually mm. contribute to that. You know, if you if you so whatever view you have about the nature of the universe and particularly about mm. human identity and the human condition will determine the way you see the role of mm. the family. Yeah, I and think. that kind of I think that does oh. that lead on to 
um, uh, Marx and Marxism and, and then perhaps maybe um, feminism as well in terms of mm-hmm. approaching, the, um, approaching the family from a particular set of view. You know, so like, um, mm. I think Marx, it's been a while since I, I, I read all this, but we can assume we've got all that stuff, can't we? Um, um, didn't he say that, um, you know, the wife, the wife is something, uh, you know, a, 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 a role that is kind of soaks up the revolutionary spirit of the man, you know? Mm. Yeah, that's right. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and also, yeah. yeah, the whole kind of patriarchal society is just set to kind of just keep the machine running as we said before yeah no it's yeah it's fascinating isn't it? uh because it, it's it is interesting that you know you'll see in, in a number of philosophers i mean i mean augustine uh, augustine, uh aristotle as a, as a as a you know as a good example of that um that when you've when you're already locked into um a mindset a patriarchal mindset or or, or a particular political mindset or whatever um then even when you're trying to say good things, even when you're trying to be positive, um, you end up making an ass of yourself or you end up sounding bad. So, I mean, as I said before, you know, you've got something like Aristotle saying, you know, um, we've got this structure in, in, in the family where, where, you know, the man is the monarch uh, and his relationship, his relationship, I think he says something, oh, let me get this right. He says something about the relationship with his, with the wife is, is, is kind of the relationship of, is a kind of Republican relationship. In the sense that there is a kind of a dialogue. Obviously, you know, he, he mm. still has the upper hand. Still, he is still the mm. governor, uh, and the relationship he has with his children is is kind of hardcore mono, mono, you know, kind of monarchical one where mm-hmm. you just tell them what to do, uh, and they have to do it. Um, but even when he's saying nice things about about women, it's still just <laughs> dreadfully patriarchal. So it's literally down to kind of you know, well, women are really good because you know, I mean, they can do the washing up really well, you know, and they can do you know, they can do the child wearing really, really, really well, and you know, they can do you know, they can do all these kind of these kind of things really well, and that's that's their role. And you just say, oh, you're just digging yourself a deeper mm-hmm. hole here, buddy, you know, <laughs> um, and you and that that yeah. still persists, um, um, you know, that still persists where you know where people are who, who are. Uh, who can't get their head round the kind of feminist agenda, um, and can't understand well, you know, why is it that you know women, you know, women want anything else out of life? I mean, surely they've got you know, you know, they have a life, a loving husband who will care for them. Well, you know, if as soon as you say that, you 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 automatically have yeah. missed the point because you know. You, yeah, you know, the whole you know, the feminist agenda is we, we don't you know it is nice to be in a loving relationship. But we don't need to be cared for and protected as if we were a junior member. Um, but it's you know, but you get these people. But you're being cared for, you're being protected. You know, somebody's bringing the money into the house, they're putting food on the table for you. You know, you get to keep a nice home. Why do you not want that? You say, well, yeah, but you're, you're missing yeah. the structure of that relationship is fundamentally what's a, a, a question here uh not you know and it's a Wittgensteinian language game if you're working with inside that that kind of patriarchal mm. language game that right, patriarchal social game then you can say yeah yeah that's great i'm getting i'm getting mm. somebody bringing the money home. i don't have to go to work and spend all my time with my kids you know that should be a wonderful thing but it's yeah. the game that's being questioned and the rules of the game that are being questioned here yeah. um Yes, like um, um, I remember one yeah. one teacher saying before. I think it's like uh, was it politics or it was about feminism, and uh, she was saying, um, mm. oh, "I'd love to." Yeah, she was a woman. I'd love to um, have a wife. I think everybody should have a wife. 
you know, uh, meaning like, you know, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, uh, gay or straight or whatever. Oh, man. Really? Oh, dear, dear. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, and you... I mean, you do get... I mean, a lot of feminist critiques um, um, of patriarchy actually focus on, on concerns about... Uh, about um, uh, women participating in their own oppression, actually kind of not recognising the nature of the oppressive mm. structures. Um, and somehow feeling, well, you know, what have I got to complain about? I'm quite, I'm quite comfortable here, and nobody's kind of, you know, nobody's beating me up, and everybody's been kind to me, and la 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 la. la. Um, but it's kind of as Kant, you know, as as Kant will say, it's it's the limits on freedom um, yeah. that are at issue here, and it's 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 the kind of the impact on 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 your your ability to define your own place in the world. Rather than that place to have been defined yes. for you, uh, and those sorts of things, that, you know, you have nobody. I mean, it's awful to have you know, to have an established role, um, and to be said, so, well, that's 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 your role, even if that role is is one which you know on the face of it looks very mm. comfortable. If it's not a role you want, yeah. Um, and Plato would say, well, you know, you suck it up. I mean, in fact, if it's if it's the role that's best defined for you, then actually, the more you lean into it, the more you'll begin mm. to enjoy it, um, because that's what how you, how you're, you're supposed. But to yeah, be so there are. But, um, you know, in in the modern uh, family, there are. I suppose we could kind of advertise them as roles. Who wants to take that on? Perhaps we do do that. Mm. You know, we we do mm. need some. You know, we do need to keep the house. You know, in order in all different ways. You know, economically, mm. physically. Um, you know, mm. uh, some uh, uh, food has to be cooked. You know, clothes has to be uh, have to be washed. So, um, mm. and then also. To get the money, work has to be done, and so basically, you know, yes. what we're saying is that there needs to be roles and functions within within this unit, mm. you know, and the, yeah, mm. which is where our which is where Aristotle mm. is at his strongest because he's kind of saying, well, you know, the family is a model of the way society, the way the the city works, so there has to be, you know, if you're talking about a unit that survives and has an ability to maintain itself in a, in a satisfying way in the world, then, you know, people have to have roles and these roles have to kind of work, you know, efficiently mm. enough. Um, you know, and that, I think, and, you know, obviously, I mean, that, that that's, that's truism in a, in a way you can't kind of, you know, you can't just Mm-mm. ignore that. <laughs> there has to, you know, there has to be the practicalities of, of, mm. of, of survival. Um, but the roles that one adopts. I guess we, we lean back on the traditions. That's the problem, isn't it? Because you know, yeah, and we're talking about. I mean, you know, I don't want to get into this because this is a whole, uh, whole new can of worms. But I mean, uh, there's there's the whole question, you know, whether the nuclear family is the best Mm. way to to function. Um, So you know, you have you've had there have been um, experiments, but and 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 there are traditions which rely very heavily on the extended Mm -hmm. family. where you know various members of, of a, the extended family are respond, help help to be responsible for the child rearing and for kind of the preparation of food and for bringing in resources and all that kind of stuff. And it's not just the kind of you know um, the husband, the wife, and the two point four. So you talk about like communes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, not just that. I mean, you've got the extended families where people used to kind of live. You know, you, you used to live next door to your grandmother, and, and and you might have your aunts. You know, you might. I mean, I know in in, in some countries it's perfectly normal to have various generations living all under one yeah. roof, um, and so you have a whole range of experiences all kind of you know um, coming together to help to inform that family group. 
and you get children get to see their grandparents a lot and learn from them and their uncles and their aunts and all that kind of stuff um and the pressures don't just fall on one person i can remember i think it was Ber was it berger and luckman or was it arthur Britton, one of those uh, um sociologists of the of the 70s or i remember reading years ago um just talked about the pressures um that the traditional nuclear family generates um that there is there, there there are unrealistic expectations of the nuclear mm. family, um, which is what creates the cracks and what creates all the kind of the, you know, the anxieties and the problems, um, because no two people can provide everything that is required for human existence. No, you know, no one person can satisfy. And we're not talking just sexually here, but no one person can satisfy all my particular needs mm -hmm. and, and and respond to all my particular kind of issues and desires and and, and so on. it's just unreasonable mm. um so everybody feels everybody feels under pressure because you know i'm not getting all the things i need uh to satisfy my existence um uh so i'm feeling kind of fed up and down with mm. it all and then you know one's partner feels fed up because they feel they failed because they're not providing what they think they are nor are they getting back what they want um and so that kind of that kind of you know that kind of binary relationship thing um could be seen as being detrimental to the human condition mm. um because it's just it's just making you know, it's just making too many calls it's putting too much pressure on the individual yeah. um i think it was Arthur, i think it was Arthur Britton who wrote a book on privatization um, and he said, you know, traditionally you had that kind of the, the, the breadwinner coming home from work, um, knackered uh, and, and, you know, drained from, you know, a hard day at the office or in the factory or whatever, and expecting um, his partner to be able to fix all that. He comes back in and he just collapses in front of the telly or whatever and expects the wife to put food on the mm. table, to engage him in conversation, to engage him sexually, to engage him in a whole range of different mm. ways, as well as make sure, making sure that the environment is all kind of, you know, comfortable. Meanwhile, you know, this poor woman has had a day of mm. it, you know, with, with you know, child rearing and, you know, maintaining the house and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so neither one of them is in a position to support each other effectively. Yeah. And so it all it all goes tits up. Whereas the extended family, where you've got uncles and aunts and grandparents and stuff kicking around the house as well, there's a, there's an argument, well, that takes the pressure off. Yeah. Um, you're not just seeing one face. And we're finding this, interestingly enough, during lockdown, the pandemic, where most of us are spending all our time with just one person. Mm. Uh, you know, however lovely our one person might be, um, yeah. Sometimes you say, oh God, I'd love to. See, I, I want to see a different yeah. face, or hear a different voice, you know, or a different point of view, or just a different have a different social interaction. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people are going to be uh, uh, probably finding that now. It, it, it's and I don't think it's any any weakness in the relationship or any. Uh, uh, it's not pointing fingers at the quality of the relationship. It's just saying perhaps drawing attention to the fact that. That relationship is not supposed to support everything that we're trying to make it support, you know. Hello, everybody. 
Dr. Mike here. Uh, as Danny has uh, gone to sleep on the pile of blankets in his corner of the WTF bunker, I thought I'd take this opportunity to talk a little bit about just one or two of the problematic elements uh, in uh, families and the matrimonial relationship. I don't want to say this in front of Danny because he's a, he's a bit of a soppy romantic and I didn't really want to upset him. Um, we are very much used uh, in our own culture, certainly in, in kind of you know Western culture, um, to the not notion of, of romantic love being the kind of cornerstone of uh, the family relationship. And of course, this is not altogether true um, and certainly doesn't necessarily have to be the case. Um, certainly, uh, pre-18th century, for example, um, there was a lot of emphasis on the matrimonial relationship and the family ties being based on economic concerns. Um, we looked, for example, at Plato and, and Aristotle, both of whom, having different views of the family, um, still had this idea that the family, the, pur the purpose of the family was to serve a greater good. Um, this wasn't necessarily something that was based on any kind of romantic attachment. Um, and when this, this, this is something that kind of filtered through right through the, 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 the Middle Ages, the idea that you would marry for wealth or for status um, or for political reasons. Uh, the idea that we would marry for love, um, for some sort of emotional payoff, um, was not necessarily the only way, even uh, the primary way, uh, of looking at the family ties. Um, when we get into, uh, into the Christian era, there's a huge kind of uh, reorientation towards understanding family and matrimony as a way of perhaps legitimising sexual activity. As we know, the, the church, particularly uh, the church as, as understood in terms of kind of um, uh, the Apostle Paul's understanding of the church uh, filtered down through Augustine, um, there was a great suspicion over sexuality and human physicality. Um, certainly Augustine wanted to see uh, sexuality as something that could only take place and should only take place within marriage. So it was a way of controlling human sexuality it was a way of actually sort of saying well this is a very worrying thing this is something that takes reason off the hook as we've mentioned before something that perhaps mitigates our our likeness to the image of god so we need to control it so it should only take place within marriage within that kind of family context uh and this is something that the christian tradition has generally built on since then but it was a controlling thing and again it doesn't necessarily have to be the case um uh the same with with um with you know uh, um, monogamy and the like uh clearly this was a way of of keeping some sort of control and establishing some sort of um some sort of control over over human uh, over human interaction now if you look at, at plato for example sorry i thought danny was waking up there for a moment no, no, he's turned over, he's gone back to sleep. Look at Plato, for example. Plato, I was quite happy to say that there could be short-term marriages um, for the sake of, of procreation, for the sake of creating more children for the Republic. Um, so the idea of, of a perm, it's almost like a job. You could have like temporary jobs, you have temporary marriages um, so, that, uh, so that, you know, you could continue to procreate. Um, as I say, Augustine saw, uh, saw the marriage relationship as the only place in which uh, sex could take place, primarily uh, for, for procreative purposes. But even then, uh, Augustine was prepared to say, well, actually, it would be better if we didn't have sex at all. Certainly, we shouldn't have sex for fun. This is a bad thing. Um, so the place of sexuality within the kind of family unit was, we had a serious question mark over it. So the family... Uh, Certainly from, from a kind of Christian philosophical point of view, which seemed to dominate 
in the West. The family was very much seen as a, as a controlling unit and was certainly predicated on, on, on the basis of the gender differences with the masculine, the male role being seen um, as very much the dominant role, the commanding role, either because it was more properly in the image of God or going back to the kind of, you know, back to people like Augustine, for example, uh, or Aristotle, for example, um, because somehow the man happened to become stronger and more powerful. Um, and this understanding of the strength and power of men over women seems to be something that has become enshrined in some of the critiques of family and the critiques of the nuclear family with that kind of standard kind of gender uh, husband-wife pattern enshrined in it. I mean, Kant was particularly concerned um, that in, in, a, in a situation where we're, we are all supposed to be uh, um, means and not ends to each other, which nobody should be using anybody else, that sexual activities, for example, uh, could be seen as making use of somebody else. They become, a, they become an ends rather than a, uh, they become a means, I'm sorry, rather than an ends. And he said that, that kind of contractual relationship in marriage is the only way you can make this work properly because we enter into a contract where both people, where both parts of the contract are prepared to use each other equally. And that kind of cancels that, that kind of usage out. Nobody's got the dominance over somebody else. Um, but this was something that kind of worried a number of philosophers who saw the, the, the marriage relationship, the family relationship, as primarily contractual. Um, you know, what are you contracting here? Who is the kind of the, the senior partner? Um, you know, what are we exchanging? Um, and it, it, you know, it does become awfully complex. When we get to people like John Stuart Mill, for example, John Stuart Mill um, actually is quite radical uh, and really tries to point out that, that, that the marriage relationship upon which upon which the family depends, or upon which the, the traditional nuclear family depends, is very much an exercise of power. Um, it is an opportunity for men uh, to, to exert power over women um, because they have no other choice. Mary Wollstonecroft also uh, makes precisely this point um, that, uh, that, you know, that men have this kind of this, this, this sort of control over women uh, and the idea that you enter into a, into a, a, a family relationship, into a marital relationship voluntarily. Um, certainly, as Mill understands it, I think as Wollstonecroft also understands it, um, is no particular choice at all because women didn't have any other choice. Um, uh, and you know, again, Mill makes a very strong case that that uh, um, that uh, the women are kind of socially engineered to fulfil these roles. Um, and in actual fact, we have no idea what the kind of, you know, to, to argue, well, as, as perhaps earlier thinkers had done, that it was the natural role for a woman to be subordinate in this kind of relationship. Milton comes out and says, well, we have no idea, really, what the natural state of a woman is because they've been conditioned to be um, a particular part of society and educated in a particular way from, from birth. So we have no real idea. Um, what we're finding in the likes of Mill and subsequently in kind of Marxist philosophers and then other philosophers is, is a re-understanding, an attempt to re-understand um, um, the, mar the marital relationship um, or the family relationship. It's a much more extended thing. Uh, and perhaps what we're talking about here is nothing, it's not a special kind of relation of dominance, but just a model, a different model of, of, of uh, relationality which involves friendship. 
Uh, and Mill certainly wants to argue um, that what we're talking about when we're talking about any kind of ideal matrimonial relationship is simply one of an equal friendship. Um, and I kind of like that because it's not gendered specific. Um, it's nothing to do with power. Uh, it's nothing to do with the kind of a coercion or contract or contractual obligations. It's simply saying uh, that, you know, that two people or if you want to be radical about this and I'm just putting it out there, more than two people who happen to uh, have generated a friendship um, could be seen as either married or could be seen as a, as a nucleus of some kind of family. And the idea of the kind of romantic nuclear family is not the be-all and end-all. Um, certainly, we see in certain cultures, uh, even today, um, a long-standing tradition of of the uh, of the rearranged marriage. And I can remember when I first came across this as a young, as a, as a very young teenager, um, it seemed like an odd thing. Um, because surely, um, again, having been brought up on a diet of kind of Disney and fairy tales, surely the idea is you're supposed to fall in love with somebody in a kind of romantic way and get carried away on horseback. Um, well, actually, um, I remember speaking to a, to, a, to an Indian girl who was one of a, who was a, a, a student with me, and she said, "Well, actually, I, I you know, I'm in when I finish my studies, I will be uh, 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 a marriage will be arranged for me, um, and um, I welcome it." And I looked at her in a kind of quizzical way. She said, well, if you think about it, um, the arranged marriage is one that is being set up by my parents. Um, I have, I have, you know, it's not, it's not an enforced marriage. Um, it's an arranged one. So I have input. I have the, the option to kind of, you know, discuss with my parents, to meet the person involved um, and to come to a kind of decision about that. But it is something where my parents who know me well and are concerned about my well-being and love me uh, and so on, these people will try and select somebody um, who 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 might be right for me? How is that weaker? How is that poorer? She said, um, than randomly tripping over somebody in a club, um, looking at them through kind of you know <laughs> alcohol kind of you know coloured spectacles, uh, having a quick snog in the back room, and then suddenly deciding that you are you know you are each other's soulmates. I mean, is that any better a relationship, any better basis for a relationship than the arranged pattern? Um, and it got me to thinking um, that that actually made some kind of sense. Um, we are so used to that kind of Disneyfication of romance uh, and the kind of 19th century notion of romance where it has to engage our emotions um, that we kind of we kind of miss um, some of the other possible routes into forming relationships and the other possible routes uh, into establishing families. So perhaps families really are just collections of people who happen to be very friendly and like each other uh, and happen to want to form some kind of community together. Perhaps that's all um, a family needs to be. Uh, and uh, I kind of I kind of like the sound of that, actually. Um, as we've often been told, you can uh, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Well, you know, perhaps you can choose your family. Um, I worry sometimes that the notion of family, uh, uh, and you know, I'm in a more traditional, I'm in a fairly traditional family unit, but the idea of family can become a bit of an elitist thing. Uh, and you do hear people sort of saying, oh, well, you know, as a family man, you know, as a mother, as if somehow that gives you a kind of a privileged view of the world, somehow it gives you a higher moral status. Um, and I think that's quite dangerous, the exclusivity and the elitist view um, that sometimes, you know, sometimes issues out of the idea of the, 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 the privilege of the nuclear family. I think that's something of a worry. And I think we do need to have a much broader, more flexible understanding of um, the family uh, based on an appreciation and a value of otherness 
um, and and a, and a, and a, a thoroughgoing understanding of of human friendship and interaction at, at all sorts of levels. So, in a sense, your family is where you find it. Okay. Okay. I think I think Danny's waking up. Um, he normally need, like needs to uh, to go for a pee at this time of the evening. So um, I'll I'll cut off there. But I just thought I'd share that with you. Yeah, all right, Danny. Yeah, I'll 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 yeah I'll get you a drink of water. It's fine. Okay. Okay. Bye, everybody. Thank you.